0: Hey Kyle, how are you?
1: I'm doing okay, man. Thank you for asking.
0: <laughs> As I see... I'm, I'm in your apartment. People don't know. I like to go to people's houses to record because they're comfortable. They're in their natural habitat.
1: Yeah, you want to catch me off guard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is a true gotcha journalism.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but it's it's fitting that you are sitting under a pendulum poster...
1: I am, yeah, um, I'm in I'm in my nook, my corner here, where I have a, a comfy chair and a Pendulum poster on a wall, and on the other wall is the Cold Town, just a general Cold Town poster.
0: So, let's let's talk a little bit about Pendulum.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Pendulum.
0: Pendulum, for those who don't know, for those who, because guess what, some people who are not in the Austin comedy community do listen to this somehow, <laughs> uh... Pendulum is a sketch troupe, Mm -hmm. Kyle is a member of. Uh, How long has Pendulum existed?
1: Pendulum has existed for, I think, probably about three years now. Oh, okay. In in total. Uh, The current iteration of Pendulum has been together for a little bit more than a year. Um, There is the original Pendulum... A uh, bunch of members from that left. Um, you left town or just stopped doing it. Yeah. And then sort of a, co- a core group remained. Um, Griffin May, Yolu, Emma Holder. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else. I'm so sorry. Whoever was in that original <laughs> core group. But they kind of. Oh, Lily. Lily Roblin. Um, uh, and they, um, had a new round of auditions and that's when I came in. Okay. Me and a bunch of other people. And so that that was kind of a new start for Pendulum and then um, we just had some new blood come in last year. Um, and it's been great. We, uh, we really like each other, which is a nice It's um, great. Yeah, it's nice. It's easy to work when you like the people you work with, turns out.
0: Especially in comedy Especially in comedy You luck out And like the people Who you work with Yeah Um you, you guys have a Main stage show Coming up
1: We do Um It's called The Ascendant
0: Cause I'm actually Gonna put this out Before nice. That happens yeah. Unlike some episodes Where it's like People talking about Christmas <laughs> In September <laughs> You know It's like A full year later <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah I'm gonna get this out Yeah so yeah, this t- is all promo. Tell me all about the ascendant.
1: The ascendant is uh, a cult-themed sketch show. So, she's um, right up my
0: alley. I I wish I had actually gotten involved instead of being lazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you could have. We we had open submissions, and you you chose. I not slept so. on you it. You slept on it. Yeah. Um. It's fine. We're fine without you. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, the the ascendant is uh, I don't know we we had been wanting to pitch a main stage for a while and we've been kicking around some ideas and one, every month sort of pendulums. Uh, the way we work is every month we do a new show at Coltown and every month we try to write around a central theme. Yeah, um, and that could be really rough. Like it's September, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> it could be some. It's specific, and usually when we get specific, it's. Halloween, murders, and in this case is cults. Um so we wrote wrote a bunch of cult sketches and um liked the way they turned out. We pitched the main stage and yeah, we're gonna write a bunch more, do some of those same ones. Um with some grand ideas for the promo and stuff that we're hopefully gonna be able to do, but uh clock's ticking. <laughs> so <laughs> uh but it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun show. I'm very excited to, I'm very excited to do a pendulum show on a weekend. You know, normally we do Thursday nights, ten o'clock. Tough slot to yeah convince people to come to. Although we we get good turnouts every once in a while, and so I think you know we do. I think we do really good work. Like I think our sketches are really. I cool agree. Outing. Thank you, Devin. I
0: have seen these some of these shows.
1: Yeah. Um, And so, to get more eyes on them will be great. I'm excited for that.
0: And something else, from my experience doing Sketch, um, I think it'll be a good feeling to have a show that you will be able to... Because you're doing the same show for yeah. the whole run. For the whole run. So you get to tweak it and... Yeah see what works, and yeah. see what you like a lot. And that's what I always liked about doing a run of a sketch show is.
1: The adjustments. The, yeah,
0: the adjustments, the, like, improvisations that mm-hmm. become part of the. Let me tell you, when I was in a sketch duo, <laughs> this this is not what I advise. <laughs> when I was in a sketch duo, we did this show for a, a long time. We did a run of a show for a really long time. uh, And then we put it away and started doing other stuff. Uh, started doing, like, sort of not necessarily sketch-related stuff. Like, we did, like, a talk show format and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then we were going to make a tape for something. And, like, we're going to do these sketches again. And we broke out our copies of the sketches because we hadn't done it in a while. We got to look at them again. And we're like, wow, none of this is what we say. <laughs> <laughs> none of this. <laughs> We said <laughs> we said this stuff in the first two shows, and then... And then it was all it was
1: completely rewritten on the spot. Damn free-for-all. Yeah.
0: And the, and the reason that happened, which uh, I feel like is easier to happen with two people than a group, yeah. is we just kind of got bored and just kind of got into this thing of, like, let's yeah. keep these sketches on... In some semblance of continuity.
1: Well, with us, it's always... it's Since we do a show, a different show every month, it's always, like, just a struggle to get new stuff written. Right. Um, I mean, we we usually have new stuff, unless there's, like, some, you know, whatever. Sometimes after Christmas is where we'll do an improv show. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, usually we're pretty good about writing new stuff, um, but it's... Um, It's always just like we're going down to the wire, and so like we get the thing up the night of, and it's like holy shit, we did it! Uh, And then we kind of forget about everything until we do like a best of show or we make a tape for a festival or something. Like um, our big thing, our big festival thing every year, um, past couple years, we won't be doing three years, but um, Austin Sketch Fest. Yes, that's like when we will the culmination of our year is we'll just like pick our best sketches and do those at sketch fest and by usually we'll do like the month before sketch fest we'll do a long set with like our favorite stuff and then the sketch fest set is shorter so we'll have to cut out sure a bunch of stuff um to make it fit and by the time we get through that sketch fest show it's like i never want to see these sketches (laughs) again because we've done so much so i'm interested to see what happens with the run doing it um you know we're going to be doing kind of a preview show on the 20th of this month september in case this comes out in october um (laughs) but um we're doing like a little preview for some stuff and then um another preview on october 4th and then we have saturdays in october and then we have an october 30th show and then we have one more saturday in november so we have I think that's seven shows doing the same material, um, which, you know, if you've had a longer run, it's not that many, but for us, that's going to be the yeah. most we've ever done, uh, any of our material.
0: Also, sly so plug, that October 30th show is going to be with the Hellhole Christmas special. Yes. <laughs> Christmas special? Yeah. Halloween special. Nice. Which is Christmas for Hellhole. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, this is going to be great. That's
1: going to be a fun night.
0: Also, also, one thing that was funny to me listening to what you were saying is I remember because you're talking about down to the wire Yeah, I remember when we whenever we would have new sketches it would just be this thing all over again so like we had these we had a sketch show that we did that we knew worked and every now and then I would write a new sketch and we'd because my partner didn't really write like she did what I called writing through rehearsal where we would improv stuff but I wrote the like sketches and every time I wrote a new sketch, it was down to the wire because we had to get new props. We had to get n- new this, new that. And it was the day of the show. It was like, do we have everything we need for these two new sketches? <laughs> Instead of like finding some way to reuse this box of yeah. props we already have. Uh, so for people that aren't comedy writers, aren't comedians, could you uh, tell us a little bit? about the sort of schedule for putting together a month, a new show, a new written show every month.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so basically we do our show on the third Thursday of every month. And um, when we wrap it up after the show's over, we meet on um, Monday nights. We yeah. meet every week on Monday night. Um, and so the Monday following the show will be sort of like a postmortem. We'll talk about, like, how fucking great we are <laughs> no, we <laughs> killed it we'll, we'll uh we'll talk a little bit about like what we want to do for the next show roughly it's mostly just a hangout session to yeah rest from the last one but we will start kind of roughly talking about the next show um and then the week following that will usually be the first monday of the month mm-hmm. um and uh, basically, the first Monday of every month, we have first drafts of sketches due. So, um, you have to, if you're going to write anything new, we have a, um, a a Google Drive folder. We just drop everything in there. It's got to be in that folder by the meeting time on the first Monday of the month to be considered for that month's show. Um, and then, for, at that meeting, we'll read through whatever is in the folder um, everybody will give notes. Um, and then you can rewrite it as many times as you want up to tech rehearsal, basically. So, as long as you get it in on that first thing, that first Monday of the month meeting, and you can do 20 drafts, I don't care. Just like clean it up, you know? Right. Um, and then we meet, you know, like I said, every Monday, and those meetings are basically just like, um, it will be reading through drafts, talking about business needs we have, is there any props for this upcoming show we need to get, who's on that, promo stuff, you know, all, all that less fun stuff that's um, <laughs> not sketch writing and performing. And then um, on the Sunday before our monthly show in the morning, we have a tech rehearsal, usually in the morning, um... We go to the theater, we walk through all the sketches we have, we block them, Um, our tech adds lights, it's usually pretty basic, we don't have a lot of, um, you know, uh, ability for more than that, Um, add the um, sound cues and stuff, Um, and then, yeah, we go on Thursday. Usually, that stretch from the Sunday tech rehearsal to the Thursday show is the worst part of my month.
0: I can imagine that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because
1: you're the, the Sunday before. That's the tech rehearsal. It's you know you're lock, you're locking in the sketch, right? Right. So um, that is when you're like scrambling to learn lines because it's like it's done. This is I can safely commit this to memory now, right? Um, you're scrambling to get props. I put together all of our audio and video cues if we have any. So I I build um it's called Q Labs, just this program you can run cues and stuff through it, audio cues and stuff. So I, I put all that in the program and get it to our tech and go over that with them. And um yeah, it's usually I'm doing that a couple hours before the show on Thursday like tweaking it to get the timing and stuff right. And then and then we'll do it Thursday. Uh, none of that will matter because something will fuck up. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, That's live
0: TV, baby. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> Uh
1: it, Yeah, but usually it goes relatively smoothly. And um, we have sketches that work. We have sketches that don't work. And either way, we come out and we all go, that was a really good show. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we're just having fun, you know. Making comedy with our friends.
0: What would you say is your... So, uh, my defined brand, like if someone says to me, what kind of stuff do you write? Uh-huh. Uh, I always tell people that I like characters that are smart enough to be interesting, but dumb enough to be funny. Yeah. Like, what, what would you say is the Kyle Romero...
1: Me personally,
0: what, what what sort of defines a Kyle Romero sketch?
1: That's a great question, man. I don't know if I'm fully there on my voice yeah. yet. Um, I'm finding I'm writing a lot of like um, stuff about technology and how it's like killing yeah. us. Kind of. I wrote a sketch about a self-driving car. I wrote. One of the most recent sketches I wrote was the um, uh, dumbest thing I've ever written. It's called Popeye's 20XX. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a... Um, there's a lot of like corporate bullshit in my sketches, too. So it's just a Popeye's executive in the year 2074. Like, <laughs> nobody's buying chicken anymore. We need to rebrand... And they build Popeye's 20XX, which is just like an excuse to say things like crypto gumbo. (laughs) 3D printed biscuits, shit like that.
0: I love fake future stuff.
1: Yeah, fake future stuff is so funny to me. And that was all that sketch was, was just saying fake future stuff. Neo Orleans was my favorite.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, I mean, that is like... How did David X. Cohen never come up with that? (laughs) How was that never a Futurama thing?
1: Exactly. Um, So a lot of that. And then I also write, I don't know, Pendulum in general writes a lot of um, just stuff uh, inspired by like true crime or um, ghoulish stuff, I guess. Um,
0: Because that shit is cool.
1: Yeah, it's fun to delve into those topics.
0: Almost everyone in narrative, I'll call it narrative comedy, because mm-hmm. like, I don't know much about people who do stand-up per se, because right. I don't hang out with a lot of stand-ups, but I feel like everyone in narrative comedy is into some form of true crime.
1: Yeah, it seems like it.
0: Because it's... I mean, at the end of the day, like, this, I mean, this shit really happened, right? And it happened to real people. Right. But, like, I think if I were to venture a guess, and this includes me, I feel like a lot of what people who are in comedy, what draws them to true crime is that, like, most true crime stories, what makes them work is that there's some degree of absurdity to the story. Oh, yeah. Cause, 100%. like, there's millions, unfortunately... There's millions of people being murdered every day. Yeah. But they don't make a true crime thing out of every story. Right. They just it's, make it out of the weird ones. The
1: weird ones, right. It's Ed Gein. It's yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, I, I did write a Jeffrey Dahmer sketch um, where I I was a, one of the – so Dahmer, like, kept – uh, body parts and stuff. But he also right. kept like corpses, like people's yeah. corpses, in his house. Uh, so I wrote about he. He tried to. Um, this is gonna get this dark, but he tried to turn people into zombies. Basically, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know about this. I know. Oh, it's so horrible. He uh, drilled holes in their head and poured muriatic acid. See there.
0: I knew this, but I didn't know that's why he did it.
1: yeah, he was trying to like he was he had gone insane at that point like fully gone insane and thought that if he poured acid into their brain that they would like stay alive enough that he could make love to them <laughs> um and uh and not have to not them not have to die um so I wrote a sketch about like what if that worked uh and I played one of those like love corpses. <laughs> that and it but it it was just like you take a sitcom husband and wife relationship yeah you map it onto it's just the corpse going like why don't we have sex anymore turn off the tv you know that type of thing i (laughs) and it, it it didn't it was fine you know there was yeah i remember when we did it uh uh, Nicole Russell, her boyfriend Adam. Mm-hmm. Nicole's in our group. He he came to the show, and he he was like the only person. Like he's a stand up, yeah. And he was losing his fucking mind, and the feet laughing. And I was just like, "Thank God that dude's here," because everybody else was not feeling it as much. And I,
0: my opinion on that, uh huh, because you know, my brand of. <laughs> Of humor that I, you can only, I guess, call crossword puzzle humor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like people. It wasn't because of the darkness. It might have been because people didn't know. Yeah,
1: I think that. Uh, well, like
0: Adam knew, right? Like yeah, he, knew, he knew.
1: Well, he's from the Midwest. He like, right. He knew all about it. Um. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I think there's something to do that. I also think we find that um something we talk about is uh well people that have done comedy in like other cities. Yeah. Um you and I both have backgrounds, me in LA, you in New York, and then my buddy Steven who's in Pendulum, he performed in New York. Yeah. And so we talk sometimes about like what Austin audiences are like ready for. Yeah, and this sounds shitty, but it really seems like Austin audiences just like—it's not much. They're not ready for much. They're not ready for a lot of the stuff. Like Pendulum, uh, we write a lot of sketches that I feel like if we were to do them in other cities, that like, or have more sketch done. Yeah, are—it's um, not even about them being funny. It's just about people like getting it. They don't have to think it's funny. Right. It it just seems like, I don't know, a lot of times people here are just like, how do they come up with this this stuff, you know? And it's like... Yeah, exactly. If we were to do this anywhere else, I feel like that wouldn't be the reaction. Whether or not they find it funny or not, they'd be like, I see what you're doing. It's either funny or it's not funny. But But I can
0: trace it. Yeah, (laughs) I can 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 trace
1: it. I can follow the logic. Like, oh yeah, you're doing Jeffrey Dahmer and the corpses and stuff. And um, I guess that's sort of the same thing you're saying, but... Yeah, sometimes people just like aren't ready. <laughs> They're just not ready for that.
0: Cuz it's I feel like it's If you know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, which most people do. Yeah. And you don't know about that, it's weird. Yeah. And you don't know about that. You you think it's in bad taste? Right. Like you think someone's making this up? Right. And like but like this really happened yeah cuz like, the 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 place someone's mind would go first would be like people think it's in bad taste because it's real but i think oh, it, right. the truth is people think it's bad taste when they think you're whole cost joking about yeah him and what yeah. he was
1: well people also just in general um i feel like there's just a an attitude where people go don't even I don't even want to see it or think about it. Yeah. Like, it, just doing a sketch about Jeffrey. Like, the joke was, to me, was not on that victim. It was like looking into Jeffrey Dahmer's head and just like, what did you think? Yeah. What was, was your. Happen? Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, like, is this what you imagine you would form a relationship with this person? And like, it would just. Wouldn't that be funny? You know?
0: And I feel like people, if they would know it's real, would trace that right and i think that if they don't know it's real that's when they think they're making light of what happened to people and it's like no because i didn't make this up (laughs) no and
1: it's also going back to what you said like there's an element of absurdity to it like this man had a refrigerator full of like penises yeah that's dark and horrifying and also pretty fucking funny
0: because it's like a sixth grader's idea of horror. Yeah, exactly. It's like a bunch of dicks in a refrigerator. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well,
1: and it's also just like that idea that that is his sexuality. Yeah, is is frightening and terrifying and very very funny. I yeah. think. And I mean, it's dark and terrible, but it's it is funny.
0: It's also the kind of thing that has to be funny in the sense of like. Continuing to be sane. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have to, like, find something about this.
1: Also, he worked at a chocolate factory.
0: <laughs> Goddamn.
1: So, yeah, it's funny. I don't know. I mean, you have to be able to find that stuff in that, I think.
0: Uh, speaking of sitcom sketches, too, by the way, I, did I ever tell you that I wrote a sketch called The Highlanders? And it was about two married <laughs> Highlanders. And. <laughs> And they were and like like it was like straight up m- married with children style jokes where like the wife is like the only time you get the quickening is in the bedroom, <laughs> and the husband like waves his fist at her and says there can only be one. <laughs> I, like to me, I I also really like the darkness of the idea of being married to someone that you definitely one hundred percent eventually have to kill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Keep putting it off. It's
0: always there in the background.
1: Maybe someone
0: else will do it. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, we were we were on the coast. Like, what? How was? Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Sure. At what point in your life did you say comedy is this thing I want to do?
1: Um. You know, I don't know really if I could identify the one point. I can, I can say that, um, like in high school, I started doing theater. Okay, so like that's sort of my background. I did high school theater, and I would, I would do mostly like comedy stuff. You know, I, I fancied myself like doing more than that, um, and I have done more than that. But like dramatic roles and stuff in college, but um, I was always better at making people laugh. And so I didn't really have like a huge, like comedy nerd education until college. Sure. At which point I probably like podcasts were the way that I started finding out about this stuff. Yeah. I would listen to like the sound of young America. Um, and he was always Jesse Thorne on that show was always interviewing comedians and he was always talking about, um, you know, comedy things that he was obsessed with. And that would lead me on YouTube rabbit holes and I'd watch old state sketches and I found Stella and that was a big deal when I found that. Cause I was like, holy shit, this is, you could just do this. Like you could just be a, a live action Bugs Bunny like you could just <laughs> do it, and nobody and people will think that's great. That's funny. Um, but before all that, it was just, like, stand-up, right? I mean, it was just, like... Yeah, that
0: it, was the most... It was that and SNL was were the two touchstones yeah. for most people.
1: And I wasn't even really that into SNL. I wasn't, like, a person that that obsessively watched, you know, obscure sketches. Again, until I found... So I was, like, if you to asked me before I started listening to Sound of Young America, like, what my um, favorite SNL sketch was, I probably would have said something like, I don't know, uh, Matt Foley, motivational speaker, sure, you know, or just some one of the obvious ones. Um, but then I found out from that podcast about tales of fraud and malfeasance and railroad hiring practices.
0: <laughs> That's a good one.
1: <laughs> like I got into the Jack Handy stuff, you yeah, know? Um, and just deeper cuts and and those like um, after the second musical. At musical act sketches. 10 to 1, baby. Yeah. Ten to <laughs> one, yeah. And uh, that shit blew my mind. I was like, this is so funny and so good. Yeah. And so I stepped away from, you know, the popular stand up of the day, whatever. Like, in. in early high school was like listening to Dane Cook albums. Like, I guess this is what comedy is. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like got away from it. Oh, and Chappelle show too. Chappelle show was one of the first sketch shows I, um, I watched in high school religiously. It was like, this is so fucking funny. Um, and also showed me that sketch could be about a lot more. Than yeah. Just, just making goofs.
0: Here's, here's President Bush. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Black Bush was like so fucking good. Um all that stuff uh was great. Um and and really important for me to see and like figure out uh oh shit, I could like like sketch is a vehicle for like comedy in general is a vehicle for like saying a bunch of shit that you Yeah can't figure out I couldn't figure out how else to say, you know what I mean? Like it was cool to see someone express a lot of that stuff.
0: I realized this was after I started doing comedy, because I was for a long time one a person that was like really like hated SNL, mm-hmm. and I realized that my problem with SNL, like when I was a kid, like little kid, I like I can't say I liked it, but I watched it. Right. And there was stuff on there that I
1: liked. Right.
0: And I realized that it was, it's not SNL. It's, it's, an, what I don't like about SNL is inherent to the format of SNL. Yeah. It's a live show, so they can only do so much. Right. In terms of like cinematography and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's basically, you're basically watching a play on television which doesn't translate.
1: No, it's famously a bad idea. Yeah. Like,
0: And they're doing, and it's weekly, so they're doing stuff that's of the now. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It's not. They don't have time to, like, fully form it. Yeah. Necessarily, you know? It's all pretty rough.
0: And I didn't realize until I was older, at least I couldn't articulate the fact that I've always liked comedy that is evergreen. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Mm-hmm. Comedy that not just like, what did Britney Spears do this week? Yeah. Because I grew up, since I, I grew up in Detroit, and so we got uh, the CBC, which is the main ca- uh, Canadian network, sure. over the air. Oh, nice. Uh, and I watched, I watched stuff like SCTV when yeah. I was a kid, and I watched, my one of my favorite stories about me as a kid is the way I started, so the kids in the hall started when I was in like second or third grade, mm-hmm. and when I was a kid, as you can, won't be surprised to hear, Every night I would read the TV guys looking for new shows.
1: Yeah, man, me too.
0: And it said and I didn't have a reason to question this in the 3rd grade or whatever, but I was looking through it and it's CBC, The Kids in the Hall, and I just sort of assumed it was like a Saved by the bell right. style right. show. Yeah. So I watched it and it, was it wasn't that, it dude. wasn't that, but it was also the greatest thing I ever saw. Yeah. Uh so yeah, it's it's interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that about you. Really? Uh, because you are a scholar now. In I my dove opinion, in pretty.
1: Uh, <laughs> thank you. I dove in pretty heavily. I mean, like, I grew up watching, like, um, even like as a younger kid. You know, like, I guess Ghostbusters was like the first comedy that yeah. had an impact on me because I I watched it as like a kid. Kid, I watched the cartoon, and so that led me to watch the movie as I got a little bit older, and probably didn't even register 70 percent of the jokes <laughs> in the movie but it was funny enough that i was like oh cool i like laughing um and it was always like kind of a goofball as a kid at home but like not necessarily the i mean i'm quiet and shy and class and stuff like i was not a outgoing kid in school um, and that pretty much continues to this day, like, uh, a little bit more, like I'm much more open at like work and stuff now. Like, I guess that's the equivalent, but, um, definitely like it takes me time to like warm up, you yeah, know, to people. But once I know you, I'm, I'm, I'm goofing off and stuff, but, um, I was never like a person that until college probably where I was like. I'm into comedy yeah um, it was always just like I like watching stuff and um, I feel like early like comedy Death Ray there's yeah. an album they put out that had like Andy Daly and Maria Bamford and I remember listening to that and being like holy shit um, there was a CD I bought <laughs> of uh, which is a <laughs> yeah. crazy thing um, Bygone and, era and Beaumont, A CD of a recording Of Eugene Merman's Invite Them Up show mm-hmm. And it had just like little Compilations of All these weird New York alt comedy Sets and just remember Listening to that and being like I'm in fucking heaven this is unbelievable
0: I was uh I was doing stuff in New York when that show was happening. Oh
1: god. Like it it blew my mind. I th- think it had a Stella bit on it. Yeah. It had I think it had Forgetta Buddies. Yeah. Think, maybe on that CD and I remember thinking that was the funniest thing in the world. Just all kinds of stuff. It's so good. Um
0: he used to send he used to send a uh, thing out for submissions all the time and I and we just never did invite them up. And like and now I'm like, why did we never do invite them up of all things to have never done? Yeah. (laughs) At the time, it was just just it's funny to say it was just another show in New York at the time. Yeah. Uh, Because he he co-hosted it with someone for a while. I forget who, but it was another maybe John Benjamin co-hosted it with him for a while. Makes sense. Yeah. It was someone else who, at the time, yeah, who at the time it would have been. Did you ever have experience? I'm sure you did in L. A. Like I have a lot of experience in in New York, where it was like people who were hugely famous were just another dude that I was around and (laughs) like did shows with. You know what I mean? Like at the time, you know, 15 years ago was just another dude grinding like (laughs) the rest of us.
1: Um, not not really, actually, because I wasn't. Am wasn't in L. A. That long, and uh. So I wasn't there like long enough to like sure. get on like any regular shows or anything. I was mostly just a UCB student. Oh, okay. There. Um, but definitely there were moments of like comedy nerd. I was like, oh shit, cool. Like yeah, I remember, yeah. um, um, oh fuck, I forgot his name. Um. Eugene Cordero. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, uh, he taught, uh, he subbed one of my classes and I remember just freaking the fuck out. Like I remember being like, that's fucking Eugene Cordero. I'm taking a class for Eugene Cordero. Whoa. Um, and like nobody else in the class really make a big deal out of it. That's really funny. Like, Oh, I'm a yokel. Like I'm (laughs) I'm still a yokel. Like at heart, that's still who I am. Um,
0: I had so many crazy subs when I was a UCB student, uh, Cause so my level one was taught by John Daly And I had like At the time I sought him out Cause you know mother was still Was a huge deal mm-hmm. And I would seen a show with him Uh Actually the reason I sought out his class was My So my girlfriend at the time this was like sort of post college She wanted to move to New York City mm-hmm. And she's still there She's doing well for herself <laughs> But uh <laughs> Uh, at the time For me like I knew I wanted to Write mm-hmm. uh, And I had no real plans right? About How I was going to do that yeah. Where I was going to go to do that Like I was working at a bookstore And like paying cheap rent And like not thinking about the future right. uh, But she wanted to do that So I'm like cool let's like go Let's go to Del Close Marathon, mm-hmm. and like just sort of spend the weekend there and get our bearings, yeah. and really take this seriously as like are we gonna move here, and one of the shows was Cosby Prov, which mm. you know was a v- very different show than someone might do today <laughs> called Cosby Prov, um but it was just different versions of Bill Co- like one guy was like like John Daly was like sort of a cliff Huxtable Cosby, yeah. another guy was sort of like. You know fishing hat relaxed cosby, <laughs> and they were doing improv, but it was like chaotic, shitty improv that was like you know when you do improv about improv, like you're right. you're doing shit wrong to highlight that it's wrong, yeah for sure, uh, and they were doing a scene, and like John, like in the middle of the scene, like picked up a chair, walked into the middle of the stage, they're still trying to do their scene, and walked in the middle of the stage, slammed the chair down sat in the chair and goes new scene we're in space and we don't got the food <laughs> and i'm like i want to take a class from that guy yeah, that would sell me too. <laughs> so like he had some i got subs with him and i'm like my my second my ucb level two teacher was brian husky and he was doing sonic commercials at the time yeah. so like he had subs and it was like Seth Morris and... The
1: Sonic guy who didn't stay. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Sonic guy who moved
0: on. He did his sonics and he got he cut and run. He's like, <laughs> I got my Sonic money, I'm going. <laughs> but yeah, it was like such a... Because like for us at the time, right, it's such an interesting thing to take these classes for people who aren't like comedy people. Because like most of the time, especially in terms of like UCB, you're taking these classes with people that you already they Have taken a shine towards as an right. audience member,
1: right? That didn't happen in L.A. Yeah, um, and I feel like part of that may be that I just missed it. Um, but I also, I also just jumped right in. Yeah, like I moved to L.A. and and went to see like the big shows first. I would go see like an Ass Cat, or I mm-hmm. would see Facebook show, which like Paul Shear, yeah, Casey manzukas on it and those guys don't teach classes at that point. Yeah, they were yeah, they're post, they were, uh, Yeah, they were past that. Yeah. They were all making actual money. Um and so I would just take classes from people who were taught by them. Right. right. And and so I didn't know them as much, but they were incredible improvisers. Yeah. I mean, like my first teacher was Susanna Beckett. She's a member of the Smokes, which is a legendary LA team. Um, with like Billy Merritt and other people like that, and um, so lovely we, man by the way, Billy Merritt. Yeah, he he's very nice. Man. I took a, a workshop from him once. He's he's really cool because
0: he was in the Swarm and yeah, in New York. Yeah, super nice guy, Paul Shear Super nice. Yeah, um, I uh, I like can now in hindsight, because speaking towards what you're talking about with having got taught by the people they taught. I realized that I was sort of in New York in the golden age of UCB.
1: (laughs) It's different now, or it was different when I was there. Um, You know, like I feel like the closest I got to that era was my level four teacher was Will McLaughlin, Mm -hmm. and so he would talk about like, "Ah, my buddy Amy," you know that stuff, (laughs) and um, he was like in on that like original you know he learned right. from the original ucb4 right so there was that but it, it it was not um it was its own sort of thing and it was very la it was like a very la version of it most of the people that i were taught by were not like the people that migrated from yeah. New York to la like they had already finished teaching and everything and even um you know, I think at the time when I started, um, well, I don't know. Did Will Hines ever move to L.A.?
0: I don't think so.
1: I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, but I don't also know. Also
0: very nice. Per- I just want everyone to know how nice people they see on TV are. It's <laughs> important to know that. Because Will Hines, super nice guy. Yeah. Uh, did our know. show once when we were doing the talk show oh, thing. Because cool. uh, he had a web series at the time called The Fun Squad. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen this thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was super fucking good. Yeah. Because it was like. A sort of parody of like TV like kids TV so like each member of the fun squad had this different thing like they wore like you know red shirt blue shirt and then had these hats <laughs> that were like <laughs> the like you know sort of like hello my baby hats Yeah, yeah. uh but yeah anyway yeah <laughs> Will, Will Hines great guy
1: yeah um no I was gonna say I thought maybe he was artistic director conservatory director while I was there but I guess that can't be right than if he never moved, I don't know.
0: I don't think I don't know for sure, but
1: he, I never either got. Either way, it was sort of like one of those things where oh, I recognize the name of that person. They were like a New York person, yeah, who migrated over here. But I, I, just to make the broader point, like yeah, everything had sort of filtered out, and it was all just L.A. people, and the vibe I feel like was probably very different because most of the people that were taking classes. Probably at least half were people whose like agents had told them, like, right? You need to take a UCB class to have that on your resume. There weren't quite as many like true believer comedy people there. It was like a different vibe. That's not to say a lot of those people weren't good. Like a lot of those people that that did it, that took that approach, were like very very funny and very good improvisers. It was just a different personality. They just were they were yeah. actors first, and I feel like. Now they
0: weren't looking to be on a herald team necessarily. They weren't necessarily
1: <laughs> looking to be on. A, I mean, they were as a stepping stone, sure. you know. But they weren't like excited to be doing a herald right? You know? um, and I feel like now, looking back on that time, I feel like I probably, n- it well, not need, but like I now realize, like, oh, I'm more of a writer personality yeah. type like my personality type is a writer and even though i was coming from a performance background in college and theater um that's not really what i was like i'm not built for that really you know physically or mentally like just <laughs> not like it's just not my style yeah i vibe better with people that are writers this doesn't say i don't like performing i still love doing sure. improv. um And still love performing sketch. I just feel like I get more... It's more rewarding to write a sketch and, like, see the jokes... Hear the jokes land with the audience or not land even. Yeah. uh, Produce a sketch show even is fun. I like producing stuff, so...
0: See, that's how I got... Speaking of... (laughs) Kind of speaking of stepping stones, that's how I got into UCB. Mm. Sort of was, like, I knew... I wanted to write, like I said. Right. And I got to New York and I was like, I'm going to take these classes because, one, I need to get comfortable on stage because no one's going to just walk down the street and say, hey, you look like you write stuff. <laughs> yeah. And two, I wanted to meet people who did want to perform. And, yeah. you know, and that's sort of what happened. Like I en- ended up in a duo and like sort of dropped the UCB. Like, I didn't try and stay in the system, mm-hmm. you know. Because uh, the system is surely what it is. <laughs> um. But, boy, when I was back in New York for Del Close this past year, this past summer, it was a shock to the system. Like, UCB yeah. is so different now. Yeah. Uh, Like, when I went there, the office slash rehearse, or class or rehearsal space was in, like, this, the second floor of this walk-up <laughs> in Chelsea. And now it looks like fucking... You know, Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, <laughs> like they have a half of a ninth floor, like they're in a building where you have to show your ID to get in. That's wild, and it's crazy. And they have, you know, now like there were obviously a lot of students when I did it, but UCB New York and I'm sure in L.A. too, they have Bump the them out, man. They have the you know, admissions of like a small university yeah, at this point. They, do.
1: they, I mean, they're an accredited school. Yeah. Even, you know, it's, it's crazy. Huge, it's a huge institution at this point. Um, which, you know, we could go down a whole thing about like <laughs> paying performers and all that. Yeah. But,
0: but um, such a, you know, it's interesting now being, performers at a theater who also teach or coach mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. you know like being at a point in my life's life slide. i'll say our lives even though i'm not speaking for you but yeah. like to to be at, at that thing yeah and like be able to apply that stuff that mm-hmm. you like learned at ucb uh i guess what i'm saying is that like even with all the warts of like paying performers and stuff, mm-hmm. it's like, man, like until I started coaching and teaching and stuff, I didn't realize the tools I had. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. You didn't, you don't really realize how much knowledge you got from the experience. I mean, yeah. I didn't until I started trying to explain that knowledge to other people. Right. like, just being an improviser, like it's all sort of instinctual, right? Like you're just kind of yeah doing it and you know, like what works and what doesn't work because of your training. But you don't really, th- at least I don't think too much about it. I mean, the whole thing is you're not supposed to think about it while right. you're doing it. So um, it all just kind of happens. But then when you have to, like, break it down for someone who's like, I've literally never, I have no experience of this, I have no history, no language for any of yeah. this stuff. Like, tell me what you know. Then it's like you're trying to structure it into these um, little capsules of information. It's like, oh, shit, like, I did learn a lot out yeah. there. I know a lot about this stuff. Um,
0: and even when you're breaking it down for someone who does know it or is like, what you, what's your opinion on doing this, or right. why shouldn't we do this? Right. Uh, which for me is sort of a bigger challenge, because yeah. with with someone who's like I don't know anything, tell me. You're starting from like the dirt up. <laughs> oh, for
1: sure. Yeah. Well, and they don't have any preconceived notions about what improv is or whatever. Whereas if I sit down and have a conversation with somebody who's like been through the second city program and they think improv is one thing. And I think it's basically that, but slightly different. It's tough to get on the same page, like to coach people that have had that experience because they're coming at it. Like I'm coming at it. Like, Hey, I had this training, this training works. This is a thing but I'm coming at it like it does, but it's kind of corny. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a style difference, ultimately. And,
0: and that's what's like, what's interesting about coaching and teaching, too, is that, like, you have in any uh, uh, system, you have people who do it a little different. hmm. And people who have, like, when I coach, I'm always like, what I'm telling you is not written in stone. What I'm telling you is like how, what I prefer. Right. Yeah. yeah. So My I mean, version of this, this thing. This is
1: what I've done that works and what I've seen. Yeah. That, what I've witnessed that works. So, like, take or leave that as you will. Because
0: it's an art. Like, one thing that I, and I totally get it, especially in terms of, and I use this loosely, but, like. It's not that different here where Mm -hmm. people come and take class because they saw a show and they think, like, they don't know our names like we would at UCB necessarily. Some people do. Yeah. But they think that guy, I like what he did. I'm going to take his class or I like what that guy did. I'm going to ask him to coach our troop. Right. And therefore, there's that little bit of reverence which turns into – they think we're an authority. What we say goes, and I'm like, no, dude. Yeah, this is all. I don't want to call it conjecture, but it's almost it's it's, yeah, all, it's all it's all theory. subjective. Yeah, it's all theory, yeah, right? it's all yeah. theory. It, and it's like you don't have to do this just because I say that's you know right. if, if I ding you on something in a rehearsal, right? It's like anything else. You take what you like, and you discard what you don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm also it also depends on my personality as a performer and what I like to do, what I'm drawn to. Like, right. I don't usually do big characters. I'm not a character guy. Yeah. Um, and that part of that is that, that writer thing where I'm just like, I'm, I'm more want to kind of, um, direct, like things yeah. in the show, you know, I want to see, like, okay, I see where this scene is going. Let me just kind of pop in there real quick and do like my favorite thing. One of my favorite things to do is just waiters. Yeah, like just, waiters are great. Waiters are great because you could just drop in, drop a little piece of information to escalate the tension or whatever, yeah. and leave. And it's not your scene, um, you know, but it's fun. I mean, I, I still do characters and stuff, but. Um, if I'm coaching you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time being like, okay, next scene. Um, I want next time. Next time we run a herald, I want everybody to do all their first beats with accents. Right. Like I want you all to be different characters, and it's like I don't really care about that. And so I can help you with that, right? But you probably would be better served if that's what you want to work on, going with somebody who. Focuses on that.
0: My only character stuff in coaching is usually like here and there. I'll freeze a scene and be like, "Why? Why did you choose that character?" Yeah, because sometimes it's just like you chose that character because you didn't know what to do,
1: right? <laughs> well, that I think is even even more so my kind of vibe because that comes from the same type of place, right? Where it's like that feels um, unmotivated, or right. or if it, you know. People, I feel like people that define themselves as being like, I do good, I do big characters have that tendency to like, maybe go too far and like, just, well, I'm just going to do this scene like an insane person. Right. And my like straight person improviser brain is like, hold on. Why are you like this? Yeah. You know, it's fine to be like
0: this. You just need to know why you
1: need to know why. And you need to show me that you know why, you know? Um, so that's the same the same impulse that would lead me to want to be a straight person in a scene. It that happen- that plays through in coaching too, just like you're talking about.
0: My philosophy on on playing uh, the, the straight man in, in scenes is because I think to me the idea of it is broken, like mm-hmm. the general consensus on it cuz my consensus is if i am that character i am the weird thing in mm-hmm. this scene i'm not here to point out the weird thing my wanting thing. to point out cuz everyone in this universe is fine with it yeah. so if i'm there if i'm there trying to po- point it out is weird i'm the weird one
1: that's a very good way to think about it that's interesting
0: cuz i know a lot of people don't like to play it because they think, I'm not going to be having any fun. I'm going to be trying to take away fun. Oh, no, yeah. And it's like, no, you can have great fun with that. Yeah, you can have a ton of fun. Because you are there to, like, I read a great Random Rules, my favorite EV Club feature, mm-hmm. with uh, William Atherton. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about Ghostbusters. He was talking about Walter Peck. Mm-hmm. And, like, the question this is not, this is a paraphrase, but it was basically, like, what did you do? To prepare for this character essentially mm-hmm. and because it was like the question was basically like you're in this movie with the big guns of the day right and he was like I just came to this part like I don't get it like <laughs> like my he's like my role as Walter Peck was to basically be like I don't see why any of this is funny <laughs> I don't I don't get what's happening that's perfect and he was that's like so good he was like I'm basically Margaret Dumont in the Marx Brothers <laughs> movie like yeah. I just don't get the point yeah and that's how I think of it, you know, like not in so many of those words, but like that's it's like, yeah, exactly. When you're a straight man, you're just there like none of are Frank Grimes, you know, you're in you're entering the Simpsons world and you don't get you. You just left the real world and now you're in the Simpsons world. and You're like, what is happening?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think of it. Um, I feel like that's helpful for me to hear because I've been I've been feeling a little stuck lately Uh you know the, like i'm asking too many questions yeah as a straight person and i feel that bad habit forming and i just got to get out of it so maybe thinking more along the lines of like less less like i'm an intellectually curious straight person and more just like i don't get it would be a better yeah vibe maybe to try and break that habit like i'm still here i still am confused but I don't necessarily need to interrogate it so much, you know to try and poke holes in it.
0: I had a fun moment in a stool pigeon actually i don't I don't think you were there that week, but I was like uh to give an example of like my logic when I'm doing because my logic when I'm trying to when I'm doing a straight person role is I'm trying to circumvent to get where I want to go. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a scene where Veronica was like a squire and I was a knight and I owed the king money for some reason <laughs> and I just go off with his head and she's like, this wasn't what she said exactly, but the gist of her response was you can't do that he's the king and you're a knight and i and my response was i've played chess i'm pretty sure a king can defeat or a knight can defeat a king and i feel like you know i wasn't thinking that at the time but like in this conversation i'm thinking like that's me as a straight man to the t yeah where it's just like a straight man to me a straight man role is almost a con man role it's almost like i'm trying to convince you of my point of view to get to where i want to be
1: yeah that makes sense and then it's up to the character performer to be, like, to to fight against that. Yeah. I guess. Because
0: with Ghostbusters, let's, let's talk about Ghostbusters for a minute, because I have this oh, theory. let I have this theory about Ghostbusters that I don't feel like is some amazing. Nobody thought of it, but Ghostbusters is hinged on what I call the Vankman problem. Mm-hmm. And the Vankman problem is Peter Venkman, mm-hmm. like... It leads to them saving the world, but everything that happens that goes wrong for them is because Vankman is a piece of shit.
1: Okay. They get fired. Or they get kicked out of Columbia.
0: Because he's molesting students, basically. <laughs> <laughs> In the modern era, that's how yeah. it's look and but that's true. Uh he couldn't just play the game with Peck. Like he could have glad handed that guy and got yeah. him out of the office.
1: He just, he, the first time he met him, he just didn't like the cut of his jib. Yeah,
0: he doesn't like suits. Yeah. And, like, I just look at the lives of, like, Ray Stantz and Egon Spangler and where they would be in if,
1: <laughs> if they never met Peter <laughs> Venkman. <laughs> yeah. They would have proven the existence of ghosts. Yeah. And be, like, world-renowned <laughs> scientists. Except they have this one friend who's barely a scientist.
0: That they also need. That's they, the funniest yeah, part. they need him. <laughs> they need him to do the talking. <laughs> but I, I always think, you know, I, as a kid, I never thought of it that way. But I'm like, man, the, the hero of this movie is also the antagonist of this movie in, That's like, true. any other world. You place Peter Venkman in any other situation. He's the antagonist.
1: Well, he was always... And I feel like maybe this is me... Um retroactively changing the narrative, mm-hmm. but he never was my, like, I was never like a kid that was like, oh, Vinkman's so cool and funny. Yeah. Like, I never really related. I felt like I never really related. To, I always related to Ray way more.
0: See, I was an Egon guy yeah. as a kid. Amazing. I was, was down with Egon. Cause yeah, Vinkman was always pushed. Yeah. You know, and like, cause in the cartoon too, cause I, I had the reverse. I saw the movie first and that's because my dad my dad was a comedy guy Mm -hmm. so a lot of stuff that it should have taken me years to discover (laughs) you know left to my own device like Mr. Show my dad sought out Mr. Show I don't know how he knew about it I don't know how he found out about it because another thing was David Cross and Bob Odenkirk were essentially new in terms of like on screen like they had been writing a while obviously so I don't know what you know somehow my dad heard about a new sketch show anyway yeah like You watch the, no matter what order you watch it in, Thinkman is pushed in both of them. cartoon, he's pushed even harder, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Maybe it's because there's more of the cartoon than there is of the movie, but he is pushed hard. Ghostbusters 2, he is, like, pushed front and center. center. I mean, it's it's his narrative. Well,
1: he's the star of the show. Like, that's why now, looking back on it, I feel like, oh, I probably am. I must have been drawn to him as a character as a kid because everybody was it was it was the Bill Murray it was right. a Bill Murray movie in a lot of people's minds but to me it was just like never about that i never really cared about that i mean he was funny like i'm not right. denying that i thought vingman was a funny character but it just was never um the central draw for me i, I don't know he just his like fast talking wisecracking yeah. thing just like i wasn't really into.
0: uh, I didn't realize until I was older that he was the main character. Yeah. Like, I was like, I wasn't an adult, but I was like a teenager, I think, before I realized that he was like, because he gets the girl, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, like in a Joseph Campbell traditional narrative, like Hero's Journey, Venkman is the main character of Ghostbusters. Yeah. And I never thought of it that way as a kid. I never thought of there being a main character. I thought of it being these four friends. Yeah, (laughs) it's just four
1: friends. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> 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 it's yeah, it's very it's, it's such a Cuz Ghostbusters is, is a w- weird movie in a lot of ways watching it as a 2018
1: adult. Oh yeah. It's problematic yeah. in a lot of ways. Um it's also just like I don't know. It it's I mean, they tried to remake it, or not remake it, reboot it or whatever, and it just sort of feels like, and it's no fault of that movie, the remake I thought was fine, you know? I like it a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I like in it. It just feels like maybe people just don't have that type of movie in them the same way anymore, you know? I don't know.
0: So there's a couple, ooh, I I am happy to talk about this. Yeah. There's a couple things for me where,
1: like. (laughs) For everyone at home, Devin, just check the time because you (laughs) knew we were about to go down a deep rabbit hole.
0: So first of all, Ghostbusters is such a, like, singular concept. Yeah. Like, it's hard. Like, there are movies where you can, like. Because, like, they made Evan Reitman made that movie Evolution, for example, with right. David Duchovny, and it was like, this is just Ghostbusters, and you can't trick us, or—you know what I mean? Like, there, yeah. there are concepts where you're like, I want to make a movie like that, and you just make it, yeah. and it's fine, but Ghostbusters is not one of those, no. even though it takes so much from, like, Marx Brothers and Three Stooges brand comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, there's that, where it's, like, making another Ghostbusters, even— is hard to make because the original was such a singular... Like, making Ghostbusters 2 was hard. It had all the same people involved. Yeah. And my other thing with the new, the more recent Ghostbusters is... And I remember watch, thinking this when I watched it. It was like, man, this movie had to be a totally different... Like, the first movie maps the concept of small business yeah. onto this concept Reagan of era. supernatural horror comedy. Yeah. And you wouldn't do that now, which they didn't really, because we live in the Etsy era. Everyone's a right. small business person. There's nothing unusual right. or like interesting about mapping that. So it becomes like this movie more about self self expression almost. Yeah. Which is hard to map onto the Ghostbusters concept. Yeah. Because so also so much so so much of Ghostbusters is about this weird. Military facade almost, like you know, with the jumpsuits and yeah, the name tags it's, it's and a
1: uniform thing. Yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot of like superficial elements that would make one think, like, Oh, this is easy. We yeah. just slap the jumpsuits on and we put the name tags on, we make the proton pack, some ghosts, bingo, bingo, you're done. But like the practical effects in the first one are. Yeah. A huge part of it. Yeah. I know that's like a common nerd rallying cry, but like it is tough watching the new one where it's just like all it just feels like you're watching a cartoon for the whole last act of the movie.
0: There's weight. There's, there's weight to, there's to practical weight. effects. Yeah,
1: there's weight to it. When like Slimer is like flying down the hallway screaming at him and it looks kinda you know, if you look at it now, like you can see quote-unquote, see the wires. Not literally, but like you can tell. Like, oh, this is a puppet. But it feels like a real thing in the real world, even though it flies right through him.
0: I think this is something I've always thought about with practical effects and why they work, particularly in a horror, supernatural context, Mm -hmm. is because the best way I can put it is, if you saw a ghost or a monster in real life i think your brain would process it as looking kind of fake yeah you know like yeah. and i think that's what makes practical effects work is that like cg is too clean like it looks mm-hmm. too real almost yeah. and your brain says this doesn't look this doesn't apply mm. <laughs> But yeah, practical effects. It's like yeah, this is. It looks horrifying because it doesn't look quite real, which is what that would look like to you, I think.
1: Well, think of the moment in the first Ghostbusters where um, uh, Rick Moranis is at his party for all of his tax clients.
0: Get that that totally improvised walk around. By I the can't way,
1: believe improb- <laughs> that is one of the funniest <laughs> things. I I am obsessed with that him in that scene it's so good um but when he opens the closet and throws the coat yeah and hits the the, the terror dog the terror dog with the coat and the dog kind of shakes it off it's like you can't really get that with cgi no like, you can you can kind of fake it but it's gonna look bad
0: it's not gonna have the the weight
1: it's not gonna have the weight and the joke you know minor joke of him like not seeing it and throwing in the coat but then the lighting too just like open the door and there's like this beam of light on this horrifying creature that is clearly actually there Uh, it's scary and it's kind of funny It's setting up all this tension because you know that this thing is about to explode out of the door or whatever.
0: And it's funny because it reacts like a real dog. Like if you threw a coat on an actual dog's head, it It would would shake shake it off. Shake it off, yeah. It doesn't just like. Like in a true horror movie, that's when it would jump, right? Yeah. But yeah, in a comedy movie.
1: Play it out a little (laughs) bit longer, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think, honestly, if that's. So for anyone listening, you doesn't know i also host a podcast about horror plug that shit uh it's called we are definitely afraid of the dark and um i i watch scary movies every week with my two friends who don't like scary movies and so we we spend a lot of time in that interrogating like your relationship with scary movies and like where you are coming to them from yeah and i'm kind always kind of blown away that they the two of them that i host the podcast with em and steven they don't have the same type of language I did. I grew up watching a lot of scary movies, and I ch- I can trace it all back to Ghostbusters. I yeah. mean like I remember actually being very very scared of that movie. The scenes where the hands are coming out of the chair and grabbing Sigourney Weaver, and they pull her into the, the
0: kitchen. Kitchen, yeah.
1: that's terrifying. Um, the uh, library ghost, obviously, for a long time. I c- that's why I. Came to the movie so late after the cartoon because I would rent the movie after watching the cartoon and then I would start the movie and the library ghost happened and I was like, turn it off. I can't do this. It's the only worst for me. It's the scariest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Um, I mean, I was like a little, little kid, but it affected me.
0: It's funny because, like, I just imagine you turning it off right. Before, like seconds later, where it's diffused by them running out of the way, and the piano, and it's like totally diffused. You know, it is—it's definitely a scary moment, but it's like that that moment after lets you know it's gonna be okay. It's fine, yeah. And yeah, just sort of imagine a kid being like, "I can't take this," and like if you let's it run five more seconds, you'll see these three grown men running out of a place like the Three Stooges,
1: full on like. Run and do the like whoa yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> to go back in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, it's very silly, but it 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 got me. It got me. I
0: totally yeah. understand. Like B- large Marge was my thing as a kid, where yeah. I like could not take. Like I watched Wee's Big Adventure once as a kid, I and then I watched <laughs> it much later again because like M- large Marge was like. And now in the future, and I've done this, you can watch a gif of large Marge and like totally desensitize yourself yeah, to it's it.
1: nothing <laughs> But yeah, as a kid that stuff is and even and even more so Ghostbusters too scared the shit out of me. Vigo is scary. Vigo is so scary. He's scary looking uh first of all even in his like normal form yeah. but then his weird demon head is yeah. the scary it's so fucking scary. I just imagine the like the designer who worked on that just yeah. getting no notes and just <laughs> thinking like am I really going to get away with this? Is this really going to be in this movie? Okay. <laughs> and they're putting the prosthetic on Dan Aykroyd or whatever, when he turns into yeah. demon Vigo at the end. And, and they're like, fuck, fuck I did. It. I got away with it. This is it. so <laughs> scary. This is in the movie.
0: And like Aykroyd that. is giving him a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <And> Aykroyd's <laughs> loving
1: it. He's like, yeah, this is great. Um, yeah, it, it all the like all the this this is another one of those like intangible why Ghostbusters works so well, and this is all Ackroyd. I feel like it's all Ackroyd. Yeah. All the like mythology stuff, absolutely. You know, I absolutely. Mean, when he's talking about Vigo, and he's all he's doing is mapping Rasputin onto it, right? Like exactly, he's just taking details about Rasputin and putting into this character in this movie. But when he's like, uh, in whatever year, shortly before his head died. Yeah. <laughs> and I that line jumped out to me so much when I was a kid watching that movie. Like, what the fuck does that mean? His head dying? Yeah. Different from his body <laughs> dying? And like the implications of that sending me on a rabbit hole. And this is probably because I was like a creative kid and that, like. Yeah, there are definitely
0: lines that make you let like your mind just runs yeah, away with you when you're a kid away
1: with them. You fill in all those blanks. And I feel like that's the basis for like 70% of Ghostbusters extended universe. That's stuff, true. Right. Um,
0: Where someone says, Hey, what about this? Right. What about this thing.
1: Yeah. Let's explore this thing that they said once, which is why it's so fruitful for a a, a big franchise. But you also have to cope with, it has to be funny. Yeah. And People just don't know how to modulate that. They don't know how to turn that dial left or right to the right amount. And it just never... The closest anyone came was the video game. Yeah. Then the, the Ghostbusters video game that came out. But that's, I feel like, because they started with an Ackroyd yeah, script yeah. to jump off of.
0: And also, it's funny. You may have read this too, but, like, I didn't think about this when I was playing it. But later, because, like, you know there were some complaints from people that were like, how come we couldn't play as one of the Ghostbusters because he plays this, like, new character. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we didn't have you play as one of the Ghostbusters because, like, we needed that back and forth between the Ghostbusters. Like, if you play as one of the Ghostbusters, you don't get that. Yeah. The ping pong. Yeah. Between the four of them. And it's true. Like, you need that. Like, that's, again, why, like, doing extended universe stuff, like, it has to be funny, but it's also, like, how do you visit the world of Ghostbusters without the Ghostbusters, which is what you would be doing with a lot of these throwaway lines. Yeah. Because every a lot of the throwaway lines are referencing something that happened in the eighteenth century year <laughs> and it's like, Well, I don't know how we're gonna do this. without Peter Ray, Egon and Winston, but yeah. but then they like people put out like they they put out a uh an like a physical copy you can buy of uh
1: Oh, tobin spear guy. yeah
0: tobin spear guy and it totally works because yeah. it's just information about these ghosts information about these characters yeah and it doesn't have to be necessarily funny because no. it's just information but yeah uh, i'm a big ghostbusters 2 fan by the way thank you uh, when- i'm
1: glad it feels so good to say it
0: <laughs> whenever somebody says to me i don't like ghostbusters 2 i'm like watch the courtroom scene and come back to me
1: yes it's perfect yeah the courtroom mm-hmm. scene is perfect and I, I just, I don't know why it gets such a bad rap. It It's so. It's very weird. It's so outsized, the hate that people have for that movie. Yeah. People are really, they use it as an example of like, what goes wrong when you make a sequel to a beloved movie? And it's like, y'all are fighting the wrong battle here. Yeah. That movie's pretty fucking good. And you're out of your minds. And I, you're out of your minds. And I've tried to approach it from every angle of like, am I Am I blinded by nostalgia? Am I just like so in love with this because I watched it as a kid that I can't see the flaws in it? And I really don't think so. I think it, I think it's good.
0: Here's the thing, and I try to never look at something this way because it's kind of a shitty way to look at something, Mm -hmm. someone's opinion especially. But like you, I've looked at it from as many ways as I could, and the only thing I can come to is like a lot of it is just that internet like someone said this now I'm going to say it too sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like cause it's, It doesn't feel like First of all when people say it They never give examples No They, they never don't. say This is why I don't like it Right They just say Ghostbusters 2 Am I right?
1: <laughs> yeah exactly And it, it's Don't get me wrong It's not As good as the first one obviously right. Like It has flaws But I don't know it's, it's The courtroom scene is All time The villain is great Yep the v- Vigo is an excellent villain.
0: One of the funniest jokes I've ever seen <laughs> in anything. And pardon me if you're listening to this and this doesn't make sense to you, but I'm t- this is for Kyle. <laughs> the part where Egon is working at that think tank uh-huh. in the early going of the movie, and the experiment is about emotions. And he's like, he has this machine, he's running along the subjects. And Dana comes to visit him, and he says something about Peter, and she goes, oh, Peter, does he mention me? And she sort of turns away from Egon, and he goes, no, and then runs the (laughs) thing over. (laughs) It's one of my favorite jokes of anything ever.
1: Uh, It's so good. It's so good.
0: And The one criticism that I have of Ghostbusters 2... Is that I don't like, like, I don't like the way it begins, like, like, the birthday party stuff. Like, yeah. I'm okay with them not being Ghostbusters anymore, but I don't, it doesn't make sense to me that the idea of the Ghostbusters is a joke now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get that part of the idea is, like, these kids weren't there. They don't get it. Like, but, like, I feel like there's a different way to do that. Yeah. I do like the fucking, like, I have always wanted to reference this, like, it starts with that fucking... Sound effect, and it says five years later, giant on the screen. Yeah. I've always wanted to like s- <laughs> reference that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've had like lots of ideas about how I would revisit the Ghostbusters.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't. I, yeah, I, as somebody, even as somebody who's in love with those movies as I am, I just, I feel like I don't know how I would do it. Like other than. It'd be the same movie with different people, yeah. and you just kind of keep expanding on that mythology in the same way that that they did. I mean the 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 remake is honestly like pretty close to probably what I would have come up with if I had so fucking with, it's really good. It's really good. I I think the elements of it that didn't work were just like the the effects, yeah, and some of um like. You know, like the Ozzy Osbourne cameo. Yeah. You know, like shit. Out of like nowhere. That, out of nowhere. You know, like shit like that was kind of like, mm, that's weird.
0: Especially at this point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like if this yeah, movie had been made in 2004, late. maybe. Yeah. It was too late even then
0: to have him do a shot ride Yeah bit.
1: It was, it was clearly a. Yeah.
0: I love Holtzman. I love Holtzman as this Holtzman weird
1: great combination
0: character. of Egon and, and Vankman. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Holtzman is a wonderful character and maybe maybe it is um, that thing where we liked it because we did view the original as like this ensemble yeah piece and a lot of the criticisms i heard of the movie were people going like oh there's no vinkman right you don't have a vinkman to build it around and to me that's not a problem yeah, that's that's fine. not what it is yeah, to me it's yeah it's never been that for me but i guess for a lot of people that's a huge issue
0: And Bill Murray got his wish, where he's like, "I only do another Ghostbusters if you kill me." (laughs) Yeah, I also love how like glossed over the death of a man was in that movie. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what I would do if I had done Ghostbusters three. This is this is everybody's alive, right? Mm -hmm. Like we still have Harold Ramis, right? So, my Ghostbusters three, like this isn't like a whole. This is just a basic idea. Ghostbusters franchise now worldwide. Mm -hmm. Peter, Ray, Egon, Winston, administrative roles now. Like they run this business. Mm -hmm. And Ghostbusters three, when this is happening, when when this is the world now, it's all about them coming back to it because they are restless. Like they just want to get back to it, right? And as they get back to it, you know they're rusty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But as the movie progresses, we find out uh, we need them back. We need it to be them. Yeah, for whatever for reason. whatever reason. But it sort of starts out as like we are, and also I feel like there would be. It wouldn't just be we're restless. Like something would kick it off, like either someone would in yeah, an interview. Has be some inciting incident yeah. Like maybe in an interview they're like, You guys are you guys are fat cats now. You guys don't know what it's like out there. Right. Or something to that effect or I wouldn't I don't wanna make it somebody dies. It's Ghostbusters. We we'll need to yeah, make it somebody Yeah, it doesn't need to be that dark. But like, yeah, it would be something like you used to be Ghostbusters. What happened? You know, like maybe even it isn't even like someone trying to be like gotcha. It's just someone who is like saying these things that they don't mean it to, but is like really hitting them. Yeah, like you know, it's been twenty years since you last called a ghost. Right. What have you been doing? You know that sort yeah. of thing where that seems per- perfectly innocuous.
1: I'm imagining like uh not exactly this, but like all the all the other Ghostbusters are like unionizing or something. Yeah, and they like. Our bosses don't know what it's like. They haven't <laughs> had to deal with this shit. I got slime on me coming home from work every day, and they don't remember and all this shit. You know, whatever.
0: Or maybe even someone that, like, actually, like, it's long been long enough that they don't even actually know that they were Ghostbusters ever. Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe they're just, like, they don't know what it's like. Like, yeah. maybe they think they don't know shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was, because I like the idea of them, like, it getting out of control in the sense of like, you know, one day I woke up and I was sitting behind a desk. You know, like I right. they didn't even realize it until it was, you know, twenty just years kept just flew by. Paperwork, yeah. And
1: all of a sudden, that's all they do all day.
0: Or maybe speaking of signing stuff, maybe that's it too. Maybe it's like it starts to come out someone within the organization is like cutting corners, or mm. and you just need you just need that original, you know, as like almost a rallying cry, like, you need these original four Ghostbusters back yeah, to show the people that Ghostbusters is still a trustworthy organization or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's the general idea of, like, it's been a while, and they're just out, they they aren't out in the field anymore. Mm -hmm. I also feel like it would be a thing where, like, I forget why this was, oh my god, I originally had this idea of Egon being the holdout because it was mm. like he's getting to do what he originally wanted to do which was sort of theoretical and inventing. Yeah. Like it wasn't it was never field work for him in the beginning. Yeah. And they have to like get him back for some reason cuz he's like the only one that's like, "No, I'm where I want to be."
1: Yeah. I'd watch that. I'd watch <laughs> the hell <out> of that. <laughs>
0: Cause I feel like that's the only way it works without it being like you said, like having a it, it sort of it's almost the best of both worlds, right? You, like you get because all people want to see is you know let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown. Right. They don't care about the rest of the movie; right. they just want to we'll see that those four, the four original Ghostbusters in the standoff Geek at ass. the end. Yeah, so it's like here you get new Ghostbusters and you get mm-hmm. what you want to see, which is the third act and them. Blasting something in the hell.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, them not filming the remake in New York, like using Boston as yeah. a stand-in was a big mistake. Even though New York is not obviously the New York. Right. In the 80s, like, I don't know, it still feels like you should do it that way. Or if you're not going to do that, do it somewhere else. You know? Right. Do also, Ghostbusters Detroit, ooh, I'd watch that. Yeah, come on.
0: There's a lot, and there is obviously. I mean, that's what, what's great about cities, right? Because like in Detroit too, there's like all this history that you could. Yeah. Make a haunted history out New of New Orleans Ghostbusters. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Had a great fucking post-credit scene though. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's so good.
1: Well, that's what uh, Paul Feig recently gave an interview. This is like just heard this this week he was on some podcast mm-hmm. and he was talking about like what he would have done and along those same same lines he was like yeah we would have gone international because yeah. he he said when he was on the press tour all these people were being like oh we got to tell you about ghosts in our town in yeah. like Japan or wherever and it's just like a totally different relationship with ghosts right so he was like it'd be really fun to Take them and put them in another scenario where it's totally different. You know, so different good. Volume.
0: Yeah, uh, they like.
1: And it'll never get made. It'll never
0: ever get made.
1: <laughs> do you think we'll see another attempt in our lifetime?
0: In our like, lifetime, probably. Do you think they're gonna try it again? We'll probably be old men, but they'll probably they'll probably try again. Yeah, because it's something that. Just dreaming that impossible dream, I feel like, <laughs> especially now. Like, oh, to, to go back a little bit. I also think the problem. I hesitate to call this a problem because it kind of doesn't matter to me personally. Right. But the problem with it is, I feel like because they thought they were sort of sidestepping the problem by I feel like having it not really take place in the same universe as the yeah. original.
1: That's that was a problem.
0: I feel like that doesn't work
1: no you, yeah. you have to you, you, that was a mistake set it in the same universe it's they're out if they want to do cameos they can do cameos if not yeah. we just won't have them you know um,
0: and yeah. there's that weird joke with accurate as a cab driver talking about
1: yeah. free
0: if you know free folding vapors and yeah. it's like what is happening? Yeah,
1: what is this? Who's this, this guy? Is
0: this a universe where Ray is a cab driver? Like, what is happening? Yeah,
1: it's a kind of weird parallel dimension thing.
0: Although Ernie Hudson got the last line in the movie, which is great.
1: Yeah. He looked ready to go. Yeah. Like, he was... He looked, <laughs> he looked ready to put... He, of all of them, and not even... I'm not saying that from a, like, a he's not working. Right, <laughs> not right, right, hear. right. He, like, he just looked like if you were going to Try again, and have that connective tissue. He's your guy, like He's 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 great,
0: and he'd be great as like like that would be a great cameo. Just Winston as sort of their boss, or sort of their like you know. Here is the franchise paperwork stuck around. Yeah,
1: like even if you so if you were to remake it now, all right, Bill Murray's out. Yeah, Ramis was out, obviously. Aykroyd probably will want in in some capacity, but let's assume he's not for whatever reason. Like, yeah, or, or he's not. He doesn't want to be as big of a part of it. You build it around Winston and the idea of like he's carrying on the work is just like. Yeah, those guys left.
0: He's a responsible one. Yeah, like, like the, Venkman's on an island somewhere, yeah, just bailed. getting his Ghostbusters residuals right. from franchising it out. Exactly, Ray might have just fucking disappeared. Yeah, you know I mean, like, what Ray's doing. Ray, Ray, he went into the Suicide Force and never came out or something. <laughs> you know, like yeah. something, something where we could do a cameo at the end, like yeah. your big applause moment when Ray appears exactly. again. Yeah. But yeah, Winston is the guy who's like... Because he was always the guy who was like the responsible one. <laughs>
1: yeah, he was rallying them. Like, come on, we can do it. Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Oh, And the comics is great. Like, in the comic because they're currently doing, if you don't know out there, they're currently doing a Ghostbusters comic uh, at IDW. And Winston is also a doctor now. Like, he went back to school and got his parapsychology degree. <laughs> it's just really cool how yeah. they carried on the Ghostbusters and it like works. Like, it's like the comic is really good. They did, they did a Ghostbusters international comic actually. Mm. And they did, they do a comic called crossing over. Cause there's this point where you got to invent some sort of dimensional thing and they've like crossed over with the real Ghostbusters. Cause like, it's just an idea that in another dimension, this is what yeah. they look like. Sure, And they've crossed now they're crossing over with the, uh, 2016 Ghostbusters. Great. And it's just a fun comic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, yeah, Ghostbusters is just one of those things. Because, you know, you have, like, Back to the Future, where Zemeckis and Gail have that contract where they can't do shit until they die. Like, that's, like, <laughs> I the actual. Yeah, like, the, that's, what, that's probably why I've never seen a Back, to the, the Back future. to the Future. Because it, it, they can't. Wow. Uh, which is genius. Like, yeah. to have thought of that in 1985 or yeah, whatever. Jesus.
1: Because people weren't. They didn't make movies that way. Yeah. Then.
0: No one was thinking about the Back to the the Hill Valley Extended Universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like. Biff
1: Origins. <laughs>
0: I fucking love Biff. I mean, you want to talk about a truly dark character, by the way, Biff Tannen. Like, again, at the time was not. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's weird, but it's just the way society was that it wasn't. Like he he is a character that wouldn't be in a comedy now because he is not a comedic character. No. Like
1: he's he, just an
0: asshole. He's an asshole. He like sexually assaults yeah. this this teenage girl. Yeah. Uh yeah, and just like you know, is trying to murder George McFly <laughs> and two successfully murders George McFly. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, it's interesting how, and you know, one thing I always think about is a hundred years from today, maybe not even a hundred, years from today, someone will look at today and say, I couldn't have lived back then.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, like, yeah. cause it's easy, I don't want to say easy, but like it's. For me to look back at something that even I watched as a kid, like Back to the Future, and go, Ooh, <laughs> that is rough. That's <laughs> dark. Like it's kind of easy because times change. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just weird to me that even within our lifetime, like movies and TV were so different, and like yeah, what very different what was considered. Because like you write a character like Biff Tannen or a character like Peter Venkman, even you're not thinking I'm getting away with this. You're just thinking. What a rapscallion. Yeah, what a rascal. Or, or what a bully or yeah. whatever. And it's like yeah, with Biff, it's like even the way they wrote it is like this goes deeper than just being a bully.
1: <laughs> yeah, something else. Well you would you would you would probably now have like a glimpse of his home life. Yeah. And, you know, you would see like the abusive dad or whatever and uh
0: I've always thought that was interesting though, is that one thing we do know about Biff is that he lives with his grandmother. Oh yeah. And like, that's not much, but it's.
1: But it implies that like, his parents die, yeah, you know, or something, something happened, happened that happened, he had to get out of that house.
0: Made him shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. then he's and then he's like, like I like end of Back to the Future Biff because he's like, I don't know how to explain it. Like he's like. Not he's he's passive aggressive shitty now mm-hmm. like this better version of Biff that we see <laughs> like that's that's that was the idea of better It was like this Biff, biff's better in the sense that uh, he's afraid of me now. <laughs> <laughs> he knows I won't take any shit from him <laughs> there's a uh, that theory. I guess you could call it a theory that I like about Back to the Future, which is like this idea of it being an incredibly dark ending because everyone around Marty McFly has these memories that he doesn't.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, holy shit, that's grim. <laughs>